From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own business. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their business up and running. My name is Kieran. I'll be your host for this episode. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. Well, I suddenly felt very in charge of you know, my own like you know, existence and opportunity and path. Just sitting there, like you know, there's just so much that you can do, and you, you know, it felt it felt endless that I was able to do whatever I liked. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by George James, founder of Be Hooked. Be Hooked are experts in man. Oh. Sorry, I said something wrong there. <laughs> no, no, I was just saying hello. Oh, okay. I was just like, I just always script the very beginning of this. Okay, I, today I'm joined by George James, founder of Be Hooked. Be Hooked are experts in managing the online presences of the world's leading entertainment talent and their relationships with audiences and brands. Based on the Be Hooked formula, they turn your story into success. George, you're very, very welcome. How are you doing today? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Kieran. Yeah, really, really good. It's nice and sunny in London, so... And it's Friday. It's fit, yeah. Okay, it's Friday, yeah, so nothing, nothing to complain about. All good. Awesome. Well, let me, if we could start and take you back to the very beginning. Uh, what were you doing before Behooked? Why did you quit and, and start Behooked? Well, I mean, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, I start. I started out as a musician. So at school, I got into music, wasn't very good at anything else, and got into drumming. And then I, uh, yeah, I just was, uh, went to uni to study music business. And after uni, uh, it was like particularly difficult to find a job at a record label doing the traditional stuff, which was A and R, like finding music artists and um, you know, like developing them, which is what I really wanted to do. Um, so I ended up doing an internship at a uh, record label called Southern Fried, where Fatboy Slim um, is like runs the label. Nice. And through that, I ended up doing MySpace stuff and digital marketing stuff, which was awesome. And I learned all the you know HTML coding, social media, WordPress, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then after that led to me connecting with someone that had gone to my uni many years before, who started a new type of agency, a social media agency for entertainment. Yeah. And they were doing the X Factor. And I ended up working on One Direction one year, Little Mix oh, the wow. next year. And yeah, and then I was like, uh, known as Twitter boy. Um, <laughs> so, I, so yeah, and then I started having bands come to me. And, um, and yeah, it just I wasn't really that great in the kind of corporate ladder. I, I struggled to kind of like please yeah. my managers and that sort of stuff. But I did build great relationships with the clients. So at, at some point, it was like serendipity. I think my agency yeah. wanted to get rid of me, and <laughs> the clients wanted to stay with me. So I left yeah. and kept a couple of clients. So I started to be here. But that must have been pretty crazy because the One Direction little mix of that was kind of at the climax of X Factor, so to speak. So that was proper viral stuff. So we just getting a real insight into how to really build and connect something kind of en masse. Well, yeah, I think like, I think the agency, I mean, it's, it's hard to know whether, I mean, I don't know, in, I was kind of always think that I came up with it, but actually there's a guy called Jack Morris that I was working for. He worked for the agency that I was at, he was my manager. He 
he kind of develops like how to mobilize audiences using hashtags. Yeah. And you know, I went into the X Factor as a kind of intern at the agency with like put in to kind of like do a bit of running and learn what to do. Yeah. But something that stuck with me was like building these fan audiences around mm. the artists. So I really kind of lent into that and actually there was a deal going on with Nokia at the time and I wanted to kind of get across the Nokia deal and get involved with what was going on um, and I ended up coming, coming up with the idea of connecting the, the you know everything that was going on from the handsets that were given out to the contestants with the hashtags yeah. of the different families around the contestants and there was a lot of competition going on Nokia loved it and that's ultimately how I then got hired into the agency to then do the extracts of the following year. So yeah, it was a real education in how to mobilise audiences, and you know we've taken that on for so many yeah. different of our clients. There's a script. We've got the scripts family, one of the biggest fan bases in the world, and we've used a lot of like our knowledge over the years to kind of apply it in different ways to different artists because it can't always be done mm. in the same way. Certainly, like using social media to like create touch points with fans is like a winning. Uh, it, it's a winning formula and uh, you know, if you do that at scale you create a lot of advocates that want to get yeah. involved and want to share the message which is the secret to organic social so yeah definitely a bit of an education back then at the end and I suppose just one last kind of question on that before going into how to get up and operational because uh, I'm just kind of genuinely fascinated um, obviously as you were yeah. saying twi Twitter big platform back in 2009-2010 with the up and coming one like now that you're so established in an agency like where do you find time to make sure that you are finding the next TikTok or on that right platform to to, to do this like how do you find that balance well you know we it, it's really hard and i think that you know as a as an agency our our billing model is you know pretty kind of standard in that we have different levels of pricing depending on like the service that we're offering and for a long time, for the last five years, the focus has been on the big three, you know, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Mm. And depending on where the demographic of the audience is, is what we lean into the most. Yeah. What we're finding now is, you know, the list goes on, and there's like, yeah, as you say, where do you find the time? There's TikTok, there's Discord, there's, you know, yeah. Clubhouse. For us, it's, you know, about, you know, I think that we're, we are quite mainstream in the sense that, we go where the audience is and where we're going yeah. to reach the most ROI. So our focus heavily at the moment is on TikTok, and we look, you know, we look at platforms like Clubhouse, but we we would advise our clients on them, but we don't necessarily run them for them. Um, you know, Snapchat as well is an amazing platform, but it's always been about being personal to the artist. So again, it's, you know, if you're if you were a client of mine, Kieran, I'd be saying, oh, yeah. you should be running your own Snapchat. You know what I mean? And then it yeah, doesn't yeah, come yeah. into our. Yeah, I can guide you. I can say, Kieran, look, you know, yeah. on Snapchat, you should be doing. Let's check in in two weeks' time, but it doesn't come into our remit of our full service. It's more like gotcha. the strategy end. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's yeah. how we find a balance. But you know, yeah, the list goes on, doesn't it? Twitch, Oh, I don't know how you keep yeah. up at all. But actually, one sorry, I did say with the last one, but one more tangential question. Just fascinated again on it. Think, like, yeah. what what are yeah. your thoughts in general on Clubhouse? On um, Clubhouse, it's I think it's amazing. I, I think that the way that it came up was. Um, was really fascinating. One of the one of the best things I love on Clubhouse is the engagement groups. Yeah. So you know you can join a group of six thousand people, and yeah. there's like one host who's saying, "Okay, in a minute we're going to do a follower sweep. You have to follow yeah. everyone above you and everyone below you." 
And if you do that, then you'll move up. And, you know, there's like communities getting together to yeah. do stuff. And I think that that's really, really interesting because it's not only a live radio show with a reward for being part of it, but yeah. it's also affecting everything on the internet from that point. Yeah. Um, my, my only concern was I just felt everyone was a disc jockey taking your uh, yeah. analogy. Like, we, we, I think we did, uh, my co-founder, Andrea, she was on, on one uh, recently just kind of talking about kind of funding. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like getting questions, you just have people <laughs> making statements about what it is they do and how could how they could follow and stuff like that. Yeah. So you're kind of just getting like pitch, 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 pitch. But maybe that was my small experience. Of it. I think I think you know when people take the stage, it's such an opportunity to get followers that I definitely noticed <laughs> yeah. that as well. And, you know, the Twitter rooms is like you know another audio example of like how people are kind of getting together doing a similar thing. You, know, you get the people at the end you know they go any more questions and they come on and go you know actually like i just wanted to say that i'm a lawyer who's interested in bitcoin <laughs> and, and it's just like well that wasn't what they were, that wasn't what they were asking it is hard but i think that anything that gives the power back to the audience to kind of like yes. help create um, you yeah. know traditionally it's called user generated content i mean that's a user generated platform i yeah. think it's like yeah it's, it's exciting space and it's definitely the way that things are are going you know yeah. It's not fun, so yeah for sure okay less digressions um okay more back into to to you guys and as you were saying kind of it was a serendipitous moment you're now going to go start up but how was the starting up bit like did you have to get financing aid to get up and running did you need to hire people to get premises or did you just kind of start to slowly do little pieces yourself i think you know it, it was it was really it was really challenging um but also exciting, you know. It's it's funny looking back, and you're you're B Hooks, you know, relatively like big company now in the scheme of things. It's not like you know, it's not not a huge, not a massive company. Still, obviously, independently owned by me. But when I look back on you know starting it, I you know I, I had an iPad because um, I had to get I had to give my uh, computer back to the agency, obviously, when yeah. I left. And so I just had my iPad and my phone for the first couple of weeks, and I was working out of a, a pret in um, in Kensington High Street, which was near to all the record labels that were like my yeah. clients. You know, the one on the corner. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suddenly felt very in charge of you know my own like you know, existence and opportunity and path. Just sitting there, like you know, there's just so much that you can do, and you you know, it felt. It felt endless that I was able to do whatever I liked. I mean, so that's where I worked for the first month out of this coffee house, kind of just like trying to pitch and win clients, and and then and then also from my from my flat as well. So I was doing that, and and yeah, over time I had I had you know I was lucky in some respects because I I had this reoccurring revenue. I you know I, I my one of my fir my first business partner in Hooked on Media, which was the business before Be Hooked. We we'd done some work together, so we had some. The business that she brought, I had you know the scripts and other stuff, so we didn't need to bring funding in, and I was able to kind of get the ball rolling and get stuff moving. What was really good throughout that journey was like the first time we got off the space, you know, like had one one employee and then you know start building up, and then you know suddenly that employee leaves to go to Sony Music, and it's all like you know the worst thing in the world, and <laughs> business partner, hired place, you know, that you can see how it how it progresses. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's the fun. Any anybody that's starting out, you know, like those, you know, you'll, you'll when you look back, you'll think that those first couple of years are actually the best years. 
Um, so excited. And like, you know, when, yeah, exactly. And now you're when you're, you know, when you've got an established company, you're constantly trying to grow it and build it and enter new markets and be on top of stuff, as we were just talking yeah. about. But when you look back, it's those first couple of years where you're like, you know, you're, I think you're working, you're optimum, you're full of opportunity and excitement. Yeah, and you are the business, right? Because if you're a single yeah. entrepreneur that's going out at the time, you know, the brand is you, it's very much you. And that does naturally change, obviously, you know, because like mm. you, as you scale and you grow, the people become the company, especially in an agency, which I do, the people become the company. And then, you know, you're less the company, you're kind of guiding the company, it's its own thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a difficult but exciting time for sure. And who was your first hire and why did you need that particular person? So, my, my best friend, we actually lived in a flat together. Um, yeah. At, like when I was working at the agency and we did the expat, I, I, he, we couldn't afford our rent because he couldn't get a job. So, we, we kind of decided that we would sell him as a social media expert to the expactor alongside me. Yeah. Uh, the year that Little Mix was on. So he came in to help me with, with Little Mix and we and I basically trained him during that period on how to do social. Um, and then shortly after that, like well, I just we just you know we carried on working together. So once I'd stepped out, um, Ollie then came in and then started working accounts. And what's been great is you know we kind of worked off and on together throughout this kind of eight years, but he still pretty much works full time um, with the hooks as a consultant and he's you know, I would say probably better than me in digital marketing. Yeah. So he was the first guy in. And then, yeah, and then we had most of our friends from university like came naturally to come and work for us because they were like, you know, there's this cool thing going on. And it was, yeah, it, yeah, it was a bit of a, a nice experience to go to work and like be working with all your mates. But obviously that also has its challenges. You know, if you start to grow as a business, you can't, you know, be going, like having the time of your life all the time and then trying to do what you were doing. So yeah, so. So we, we had to get some grown-ups in eventually, but that was the first part. <laughs> and yeah, I suppose, at, at what point, as you, as you phrase it, did you feel we need to get grown-ups in and kind of what type of grown-ups did you, did you go for? So uh, about a year in, the, my business partner left and we split the company and I started a, a kind of consultancy business to operate the clients that we had. We used some of the money, the profit that we made in that business to invest in that company. And at the same time, um, I had built a relationship with a really experienced music industry director. He was a good friend, um, and and was operating the tour space. And his like number one girl, who was also really experienced. So we, you know, decided to join forces as a as a free. Yeah. And that was when I kind of had more kind of adult management alongside gotcha. me. Unfortunately, that didn't last. It was at a time they were working for Rihanna and they were traveling the world and. We weren't actually like working together, so we actually parted ways after six months. But that was the birth of the hooks was there, yeah. and then we parted ways, and and I uh, I kind of I, I started again. But I'd, I'd seen what it was like to have a bit of you know a kind of grey hair, uh, older experience in the company, and what what that would do for it. So then I yeah. then I started to bring non-exec directors and board people to advise me because I couldn't hire these people full time. So. I've since, you know, since kind of five years ago, I've had a pretty consistent uh, advisory board. You know, my yeah. my lawyer, my accountant, advisors that have worked in the industry that I pay, you know, one day a month, and I definitely recommend yeah. this to people. You know, you know, five hundred pounds 
to come in and just sit and you spend a whole, you know, four or five hours with them, a bit of admin time outside just to kind of steer the business yeah. where it's going. And I find that really useful. And I've probably got several people that I use now on that basis, um, off and on throughout. And I think that that's, that's, that's really exciting. So right now we're a very young company. The average age is like probably 25, but, yeah. um, which is amazing. I mean, I'm 33, but... Uh, but we have these older um, advisors, so yes. um, that are all really in the industry, and they provide that, you know, the ability to look around corners mm. uh, and guide and stuff. So uh, yeah, I think so, that's yeah. a great, great point because often, as, as when you were refer- referencing when you were kind of single uh, time entrepreneur in the coffee shop trying to do a million different things, you often don't think about maybe I should create the time to have this moment once a month, once a quarter where I can kind of step outside of it, share my problems, so to speak, with a group of people that may have yeah. been there before. Um, so it, yeah, it's something people maybe don't think about, but can be super, super important. I think as well, what you guys do is like, if you can raise investment or introduce people through that process to those people, and they're also coming in, this super exciting, isn't it? In some way, you're being connected to a, a big network of people that potentially can help and give that guidance, which is, yeah. which is really awesome. Absolutely, super important. What I'm really interested in is like the relationship side with agencies are so important, like particularly when it comes to the artists and some of the caliber of artists that you guys would work with. As you scale the company, how do you manage passing some of that kind of relationship over to other people to, to manage those relationships that you work so hard to cultivate? Is that pretty hard? I mean, look, no, it, it is really hard, and I think that my, um, I guess my management style has always been to try and identify people that, that are able to kind of like take that on and, and handle the relationship side of stuff. And I think that what's really great about Be Hooked is that people that, there's lots of people that come and, you know, that's not for them and it's quite challenging and then they, you know, they decide to leave. But the mm. ones that stay and like take that on, generally go on to either be here and be you know quite significant um in the industry because of their relationships which you don't get if you're not you know with social you're so close to the artist because it's such a personal thing you know you are like in touch with you know the lead singer of glass animals because you have to be mm-hmm. whereas if you work at a record level, you might be you know the lowest down in the in, in the, and you're not speaking to them because the boss of the label speaks to them and that's a very yeah. you know high, high up that must work to your advantage massively because it is so true it's so personal if you're on their socials that you're getting such a strong relationship that i'd imagine for kind of new business development the opportunities you guys are getting because you've got that connection is far greater than someone who's coming from a more removed standpoint. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we probably don't maximize it enough, but having that, having those relationships and like being able to kind of connect with BizDev is, is massive. You know, if it, yeah, there's probably 10 managers in the music industry that actually manage most of the biggest artists. And if you've got good relationships with them, then you're going to keep winning yeah. winning the business. So from a BizDev point of view, it's great. And I think that also, for us, like we do 70% music and 30% is like all brands, lifestyle, fashion, gaming. Yeah. And you know, when you're speaking to, you know, the marketing directors of those companies and you're saying, oh, you know, you can come to the scripts and come backstage and meet the script, they all love it. Pretty effective. Like, yeah, so, so yeah, so they, they find that quite exciting. And when you go in and you're pitching and you play the show role and it's got all the bands in, they, they find that quite, you know, they're like, wow, this agency's really edgy and cool, they must be, otherwise why are they working with loads of music artists? So, 
it's played into our hands um, in that sense as well. So yeah. having a strong relationship, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. And I suppose interested there in that obviously music is at your core, but as you say, you're you're moving into other verticals. At what point did you yeah. decide to expand and look into to other verticals? To, uh, how far into kind of the business cycle do, or business life did you decide to, to expand and look into other op- opportunities? I was quite astute when it came to like thinking about modelling up the, the company to the levels that it needed to get to. And I was hearing conversations uh, in the industry about retainers that were available, you know. And uh, in the music industry, obviously because it's a band, the budget isn't the same as what you'd get if you were doing a Twitter, for example. Mm-hmm. I'm also very, uh, and I have been doing it for a long time, even way back when I was an intern, uh, I'm fascinated by the power brands can bring to talent and the power talent can bring to brands. Mm-hmm. So I was always in that space of like, how do I connect you know, the script with Sennheiser? And through that, you hear conversations about what these people would actually pay. So that's how I kind of was like, okay, well, if I diversify, if I use what I've got here, which is super sexy to speak to people that have money, and if there's synergy, then I can scale this business. And yeah, that, that's kind of, where, kind of where, where I was at. And my dad is a, is, a, is a quite keen business guru guy. He never invested in me, but to kind of have that guidance and advice you know, in your mid-20s yeah. is probably, was probably invaluable as well, you know. I'm thinking, can I take all the credit for, for diversifying? <laughs> in my, my I'm not sure. Maybe I can't. Maybe I can't. Maybe it was a, a bit of a kick in the right direction. Yeah, maybe. I imagine you, your own role has changed massively as the business has, has grown and evolved. Are there yeah. like are there certain aspects of the job that you've been happy to take that hat off? Like here, go do the financing, do go do the accounting, or are there other aspects that you've always tried to kind of keep hold of uh, all the way through? I think as a like as a founder, like the finances is something that you you never you, you'll never lose. In my company, I I know where every pound is, and I probably probably know where every penny is as well. Like it's like I I've been astutely kind of aware of like running a company and building up a cash buffer since I started. It's been like a yes. like a thing where I, I, want, I wanted to achieve that. So finance is something that I always, obviously I've got a team with me, you know, my, I'm lucky that my EA, Mia, is a keen finance person. Mm. She sits across our accountants team and makes sure that everything's sorted there and that we're all in, we're all in check and she helps me run the, run the finances. Um, so I've always kind of sat across that. I mean, I think that my main role is, is business development, so yeah. progressing the company and the vision. But over the years, I've had to step back into the operational role, and I wear a lot of different hats. And actually, more recently, I had a managing director um, who was fantastic for you know about five, five years in the company, and she's recently left. So I've had to step back into the managing director role and yeah. kind of look at you know company culture. Uh, what makes people tick, how we're going to deliver beautiful work. And I'm right back into that role. Yeah. You know, I quite like to be on the offensive, like, new business role. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, I like to think of, like, building a triangle, which I've never actually got to. But, you know, like, you've got, like, me at the top of the triangle. And then it's quite funny because our logo is a triangle. And then a really great operations person, yes. a really great finance person and a really great new business person. Yes. And then if that triangle, you know, that, that's great. Whereas I, I, I don't have that at the moment. So at the moment I am the triangle. Um, yeah, constant yeah. evolution, I would say. One thing I was kind of interested in is, again, you kind of touched on it there, um, 
with agencies, it's got a, a particular kind of finance model. You're signing up clients, you're on contracts, you're on retainers, but it can be quite fast moving and trying to change and, and stuff like that. How do you account yeah. for that? Do you always create a certain percentage of cash buffer or how have you kind of modeled it as a, as a business? We, you know, we've got like our, we, I tried to, I tried to reach a target of a 30% margin on our billing as, as, as our, as our profit. Um, and a 50% gross profit margin is kind of like, that's our, that's our base level. Mm-hmm. And then that provides with that cash balance, you know, that builds up over the years. So if suddenly, you know, it used to be, if suddenly all our clients went, how long could we survive for? Or if I decided that we were going to become a t-shirt company, how much cash do we have to keep everyone employed while we pivot? So, you know, I always had targets. I have three months of cash, six months of cash, a year of yeah. cash. Um, and that's how I kind of work to yeah, um, yeah, to deal with that. Because, yeah, so as you say, like, you have retainers coming and going, and and you need to you know you need to be you need to be there to adapt to that. And different mm-hmm. periods as well throughout the year is like you get really busy periods, and then you get yeah. slightly slower periods. This is like what's great about you know starting a business is that you go on this journey, and if you're kind of really engaged with it, and if, if you know if you truly want to build something amazing, then you learn all these patterns about it, and it's almost mm-hmm. like the same thing, you know. But you have to. Bit like a Tamagotchi, you have to have the, have the stuff <laughs> yeah. to keep it going. You know what I mean? But it is there, and it, so yeah, yeah it's interesting. And, and with I suppose like live events, live music taking uh, obviously a big impact during COVID. Did that affect you guys at all? It did. It did during lockdown. Yeah, I mean, like it was a you know there was kind of like a twenty four hour period during during the first lockdown where we you know suddenly everyone started panicking. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that you know, I, I was actually in New York, like kind of forty-eight hours before the UK lockdown completely, and um, you know, I, I remember just receiving messages from some of the senior guys here, like everyone's trying to cancel their retainers, especially for my live music stuff. So we had like fifteen clients leave, um, but then by the time I landed in London, there was fifteen new clients that needed to do digital because they were like freaking out that this was like the only way they were going to reach the audience. So. We, we actually like kind of punted off our loss almost yeah. immediately. It was one of those weird moments of like, oh, we would have made a loss of X, yeah. but we've actually contrived it with new clients. Yeah, yeah. So, and then throughout the pandemic, it's been you know we've just had to adapt as an industry. I think you know there's been yeah. like loads of new services like Drift, which is a big live stream service that started, and yeah, people yeah. coming into the space, and and now you know we we actually stepped into VR, so we were doing VR gigs as well. Right. So part of it. Chinese company called Photon Lens, and we've been doing VR production and all that sort of stuff. And now live music's back, and it doesn't feel like anything's happened, and we're all just back in normal life. Yeah, you know, it's just going yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty strange. But yeah, it did it did at the time, but we yeah. we were lucky, definitely lucky. Nice. And then, and then I suppose finally, just looking forward then for you guys, what is it you're trying to do next to take Be Hooked a little bit further and grow the business to the kind of the next level? What what is it you're looking at? So right now, like we, you know, we, what we're, what we're doing is kind of having a, a period of kind of reevaluating, like you know, the, the culture, like the team that we have here, what what we do as a company, and you know, we're we're a tech stack creative marketing agency that allies to the entertainment industry. You know, we have our own technology, which is amazing, and we we work with some awesome clients. But for me, once that period's done, I, I'm I'm looking at businesses that synergize with with Beehut. So. Companies in you know the West Coast of America and 
that do slightly different stuff to us, but in a similar way, and a couple of businesses here in London. And my plan, keeping it independent, so not not looking to kind of do anything like uh, massive right now. But my plan is to buy up a couple of other companies and consolidate them, and you know, create more of an international base for for our business because. Uh, our clients can be anywhere in the yeah. world at any given time, and you know, just trying to operate in one time zone with a, you know a small New York satellite office, and we mm. did have Los Angeles, but with COVID, we kind of had to shrink down. You know, a truly global creative tech stack agency that allies itself to this industry is where, where we're heading. Nice, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I absolutely love chatting to you. Fair play, like from that corner in press uh, and how well. Uh, to where you are now, so really appreciate you sharing absolutely everything and, and being so transparent. There's like so many good nuggets for anyone either working in an agency or starting up an agency there. So massive thanks, George. Yeah, um, no. really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, guys, and, and loving what you guys are doing as well.